faith's fruit. I want to focus on that thought today. Only Luke records this story in his gospel, and it's a well-placed story uh, because we're learning about who Jesus is. You might remember last week uh, in our studies, John the Baptist's disciples came, were asking Jesus, or, uh, John was asking, are, are you the Christ or should we look for somebody else? And, and we looked at the question, who is John the Baptist? And we asked, answer, the answer is, yes, he was the appointed, promised forerunner of the Messiah. And we asked, who is Jesus? And, and Luke wants us to know for sure, that's why he wrote his gospel, that Jesus absolutely is the Messiah. He is the promised one. His teaching proves it. His miracles prove it. He's doing what his father sent him to do. We also noted last week, you all remember this, right? <laughs> um, people dismissed John the Baptist's teaching because it was just too hard. He, he was a dirge. I mean, he was a downer, you know, repent and turn away from your sins. And, and people didn't like that message, so they dismissed it. Many people did. And many people dismissed Jesus' teaching because he came saying, I'm here to give you life. It, it's love and grace from God. Just believe in me and, and you'll have life. It was too easy. They didn't like that message, so they dismissed Jesus. He was the dance. John the Baptist was a dirge. Jesus was a dance, and they didn't want either. Here was the charge. Jesus, you're a friend of sinners. And that's why Luke records this next story for us. Jesus, you're a friend of sinners. And Jesus says, you better believe I am. I'm a friend of everyone because I'm a friend of sinners. And we're all sinners. Luke tells us that the Messiah, what the Messiah was sent to do. He records Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah 61. Luke records it. We have it in chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I've come to... Uh, proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captive free, to give sight to the blind, to give liberty to the oppressed, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus is doing what his father sent him to do. And now Luke tells us this story about an unknown woman who believed and who joined heaven's dance. Are you dancing this morning? Have you believed? Are you rejoicing? Are we remembering what Christ has done? I want to just give a little bit of cultural background real quick. Number one, what in the world is going on here? It'll help us understand what's going on in Simon's house. It wasn't unusual. Jesus was invited to a dinner. But it wasn't unusual in this culture, at least scholars tell us this, for kind of like the doors to be open so other people who weren't invited to the dinner could hang out in the corners, whether it was a, courtroom, a courtyard or in the big room itself. They could kind of be in the corners listening to the conversations. They weren't invited. They weren't at the table. They weren't eating, but they were listening. So it's in that setting that this woman, this sinful woman, comes to Jesus. We don't know who she is. We don't know if she had an encounter with Christ. We don't know if she was in the crowds and had come to faith, if she believed in him, or if she had personal interactions with him. We don't know that. She's described as a woman of the city who was a sinner. Do you know what that means? You can guess, can't you? 
likely a prostitute. She wouldn't have been on Simon's guest list, believe me. She wasn't invited to this dinner. So she dared to come to a dinner and do more than just stay on the edges, but she came to worship and be grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ. She was adoring him. She came to this unwelcoming place where she was not invited or, or would not want to be seen or touched but she did because she believed that Jesus was God, the Son, the Savior. She had received eternal life, forgiveness of her many sins. She was now a citizen of heaven, and she worshiped Christ. She adored him. She wanted him to know how much she loved him. A little background. So here's where we're going today. Four key ideas. Faith's fruit. What's it look like? Faith's fruit that should impact our living, my living, your living from day to day. What's it mean to have salvation? What's it mean to receive forgiveness? Jesus explains salvation in this event. What does it mean to be going in peace? We're going to be talking about maturing in holiness in our new life with Christ. How have you responded to Christ? Are you like the woman or are you like Simon? Are you responding like, who are you responding like? And then finally, I want to look at chapter 8, just the first three verses, because it's interesting, again, in this context, there's this growing group of women that are following Christ. We want to highlight that point as well. So let's get going into the text. Receiving forgiveness. I want us to look at the, the end of the story, verses 48 through 50, and I'd like to read them again. This is Jesus speaking in verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who is even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Faith in whom? Faith in what? It really does matter what we believe. Jesus said that salvation's gate, the way to salvation, is very, very narrow. Jesus is not one of many ways to heaven. There's no other lamb of God who was sinless, who could pay for sin's debt. How many people turn away from Christ because of his own words? Jesus said, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And here's the part I don't think any of us really liked, at least at first. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's so exclusive. We do not like human beings. We do not like the difficulties we see when truth comes our way because truth is very narrow. Truth is true. Anything outside of it is not true. It's narrow. You can't compromise it. There isn't just, well, everything's true. If everything's true, nothing's true. No, truth is very narrow and precise. And Jesus says, there's this truth. I'm the truth. There's no other truth. There's no other way to God. There's no other truth to get you to eternal life. There's no other way except through belief in me. God's not like me. God's not like you. He's a creator. He's sovereign. He doesn't make mistakes. He's perfect. 
Listen to him. He knows how to save. He provided the way. God's written word and Jesus, the living word, are very consistent and clear. The pathway to eternal life is through Jesus Christ, through faith, through belief, through entrusting your life to him. There's no other way. Jesus said in, in, a little bit earlier in this chapter, Luke recorded these words. Jesus said to the crowds, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who hears my word and believes it. I want to take just a quick journey in John's gospel. God's favor of eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, that is, Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You get the right to become children of God, a child of God, a daughter of God, a son of God when you believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's an incredible truth. In John chapter, the same chapter, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Exclusive, narrow, here's the truth. Many of you could recite John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why did Jesus come? But to save the world. That the world might be saved through him. I am the way, Jesus says. Have you surrendered your life to him? He's the only way to have your sins forgiven. And he freely gives it to anyone who asked. Jesus explains how to be saved. Your faith, he said in verse 50, to the woman has saved you. In verse 48, he said, your sins are forgiven. We know the hymn, or maybe you know the hymn. It asks a question. What can wash away my sin? It also answers it, right? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, that hymn is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In, in Romans chapter 3, uh, it's, it's, well, excuse me, stumbling over my words. It's built on the scriptures. In Romans chapter 3, we read this, beginning in verse 23. For there is, uh, excuse me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there it is. It lays out. What can wash away my sin? We have sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And we're justified. That is, we're declared right with God. How do you get that? We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption. What's redemption? Well, that's just God buys us back. God paid the purchase price to pay for my sin, for our sins, for the world's sins, if we just would receive it. And how do you receive it? You get it by faith. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, what in the world is that? That just means God is satisfied. Jesus is the satisfier of the debt that we owe. He paid the price. It's paid, and he, he did it for us as our substitute, and it's received. How do you get it? I want this. Just believe. 
Surrender your life to Christ. Believe that he's the one who died for you, that you can't pay for your sins yourself. Only Christ's death, only his blood is sufficient to cover the debt of sin we have before God. Can you ever be good enough to erase the bad you've done? It doesn't work that way. No matter how many good things I do, the bad's still there. The debt is owed. But Jesus came and he raised the debt. That's good news. That's the gospel of Christ. The righteous always have lived by faith. That's God's way. It's his amazing love that makes it possible. He offers us forgiveness. That's the first key idea that I want us to get from this story. Maybe that's old news to you, but let it become new news to you. And remember, when you sin this week, guaranteed you're going to do something. That if you put your faith in Christ, be amazed at this. He's forgotten it already. It's already paid for. It's removed. It's not counted to your debt. Just confess it and accept his forgiveness. What an offer we have in Christ. So the second key idea, first one is we can have forgiveness. Jesus explains salvation. The second is this. He tells the woman, go in peace. Go in peace is literally in the Greek there. Go into peace. What a beautiful picture. You're starting this journey. You've started this journey with me, you woman, you, you sinful woman, but now you're no longer a sinful woman. You are a citizen of heaven. You no longer need to fear God. You can enjoy God. And as a matter of fact, that's what she was doing here. So go into peace. When this woman put her trust in Jesus as Savior, whenever that event happened in her mind and her heart before this event, she began a journey into peace in body and soul. She was on a journey to the kingdom of peace. She was now on a journey in a restored relationship with the Prince of Peace. She had a new family, a new identity, and it's the same for you and for me when we believe Jesus is the only way. Our position changes. In the letter to the Ephesian believers, I can't tell you how many times I go to this passage when I'm preaching. It's a classic. Ephesians chapter 2, the before and the after. Listen to the before you met Christ. Now, I want you to know something. I came to know Christ at a very young age. I was only... 11 and a half, almost 12, just going into seventh grade. So I hadn't had time to get into too much trouble yet. But now I understand what I was saved from. Sometimes as a young man, as a teenager, I wished I could get into trouble, but I knew I couldn't and shouldn't. And now I see as I'm older that I'm so glad Jesus didn't let me go there. But some of you have not had that experience. You've gone through into the darkness and Jesus has saved you out of it. 
Jesus saved me out of it too. Listen to the position. You were dead in your trespasses, it says in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience. Among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's the before. Here's the after. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the after. That's our home. That's who we are if we are in Christ. What we were, what we are now. I showed this slide before. Salvation, that's that first one, that, that top line. That's our position, that top line that never changes. Once I believe in that timeline, the X to the left, I am now a child of God. And I am forever a child of God. That position never changes. What's the zigzaggy lines? That's my walk in this world. My ups and downs. It's my, my new life in Christ. And I stumble and I fall and I fail. But that should be as I'm growing in faith, as I'm growing in Christ. It's an ever upward toward holiness. And someday my walk with Christ is going to meet who I am in Christ. And it's all going to be one happy moment, because glory will be ours in our full experience. That's a beautiful picture of our life with Christ. Positionally, it never changes. That's Jesus' way. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come rest in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, this, this new life, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the fruit of the Spirit is to be growing. In comparison, Satan's ways just recorded before that in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I know some of you uh, teenagers, when you go to school, you're experiencing everything that I just read. So are we grown-ups out where we, if you're out there, it doesn't happen too much in a church office, by the way. But the devil would love to have it happen. The envy, the dissensions, the fits of anger, all those things. But we're to grow in Christ. 
Have you found this to be true, going your own way instead of following Christ in belief and faith and trust never brings the happiness and the peace that you crave? Let's not go backwards. Let's go forward. Let's strive to go forward to glory, growing in holiness. And if you're in darkness this morning, if you haven't received Christ yet, when you humbly turn to him, you possess everything that's described for the children of God, people of faith. This unnamed woman found new life in Christ, and she had a new relationship with the God who she had been separated from, all because she humbled herself and believed. Third key idea, responding well to Christ. This is important for each one of us to think about who we are. So Luke compares Simon and this woman. Jesus seeks to save the lost, right? That's what he was accused of, hanging out with sinners. So it's interesting, isn't he, that he not only lets a prostitute, well, I should say a former prostitute, touch him, and he's comfortable with that because she had come to faith, and he knew it. But he was also comfortable going to a Pharisee's house who was a sinner who was yet to believe. He loved everyone. And he asked him a really cool question. Verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon did not see this woman. He was blinded by his pride. He was blinded by his religious status. He didn't see her changed heart. He didn't see that she had believed in Jesus, and he didn't see the life-transforming transforming event that was happening here in his own house. His judgmental heart was blinded to the new woman who was being transformed by her faith in Christ, by Jesus' forgiving mercy. He did not comprehend or rejoice in the cleansed person that God had just made and brought about. He was blind to his own deep sinfulness. He didn't see anything. All his righteous Deeds were like polluted garment, Isaiah tells us, like a filthy rag. Simon didn't see Jesus as the true God and Savior. He didn't love God because he didn't love Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, you don't love God. Isn't his accusation amazing? Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would not have known who that sort of, what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus did know her. She was one of her, his new children, a cleansed sinner. He was a child of God. She was a child of God. And Jesus also knew Simon that he was not a child of God, at least not yet. I wonder if he ever humbly turned to Christ. He didn't love God, even though he thought he did, because he didn't love Jesus, and he didn't love what Jesus was doing to help sinners. John's 
We read some from John's gospel a little bit earlier. In his first letter, John is always telling us who Jesus is. He wants us to know. Listen to this. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us or demonstrated to us. He's speaking of Jesus. Jesus, God, gets close enough to be heard, to be seen, to be touched by sinful people. Holy God, willing to be touched to save us. He's a seeking Savior. His loving mercy moves us into this new position. We're moved from death to life. Come to me, Jesus says, and I'll give you rest. And if we never turn to Jesus for forgiveness, you know what he's going to say to you when you see him face to face? Depart from me. Right now he's saying, come. But when you face him without faith in him, then he will say to you, depart forever out of my presence. What's going on in Simon's house is a holy moment. A sinner has come to faith. A sinner is worshiping God and in love with him, and it's on display, and Simon missed it. He was blind to the change in her. He was blind to his own utter sinfulness and hatred of God. And I just tell you today, don't be a Simon. This sinful woman was forgiven, not because she did a kind act, not because she worshiped God, not because she poured expensive perfume on his feet or kissed his feet. Boy, that's a humbling thing to do. By the way, would you kiss somebody's feet? <laughs> That's pretty gross. Do you understand she was saying, she understood how unworthy she was. But she also understood that God's mercy was so much greater. And she worshiped. She loved. She understood what he had done for her. John Piper, in a devotional, says this about loving God. He focuses on Psalm 63. I encourage you to read that psalm later on today. Let me just read the first two verses. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh pants, faints for you, or pants for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. That's what was going on here. This is the essence, John Piper says, of what it means to love God, to be satisfied with God. Loving God will include obeying his commands. Yeah, we got to do that. (laughs) 
Obeying God means believing his word. Yes, we need to trust his word. Believing and loving God means we will be thanking God. We will be grateful to God for all his gifts. But his, the essence of loving God is what? Is just enjoying God. Do we feel honored or most honored by the love of those who serve us out of duty? Or do we feel most loved when somebody is there because they want to be there with us? That's what was going on in this Simon's house. And God's challenging us today, do you really love me? Do you want to be with me? Do you just love me for who I am? This woman was at the very essence of what it means to love God. Do you have old or new sight? Well, faith in Christ gives you new sight. But people of God, you who are believers, we need to have our eyes readjusted, I guess, new glasses, maybe, to see people for who God wants them to be. Do you have that new sight? Remember who we were before we met Christ, before the love of God found us and changed us, and allow the memories of what we've been saved from and brought to to share the gifts of God's forgiving love and life-changing gospel with others. People need to hear Jesus. They need to see Jesus. They need to be touched by Jesus. And guess who's part of Jesus' body? We are, right? You know that. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his voice. The Spirit of God is living in us to use us to speak. Do you believe Jesus makes all things new when we believe? Do you believe God has made you an ambassador, a representative of heaven, to go and bring heaven's news and heaven's goodness to the world? The old is gone, the new has come. Know the gospel so you can explain it. Know the gospel so you can live it. God's so faithful, isn't he? He carries us along. One final thought. The growing group. You have your Bibles. We didn't read it, so turn with me if you want. Luke chapter 8, verse, the first three verses. This is a well-placed transition. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Johannes, the wife of Chuhachas, I should have practiced that, sorry. Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Why does Luke highlight these women? He had a purpose. He mentions these other women because Jesus has just highlighted the faith of a prostitute, a woman. And he wants to show the changed lives that are going on among these women. God's far-reaching plans are to have everyone included, prostitutes and Pharisees, 
men and women. And you know, in that culture, women were kind of down here. And you notice who they're associated with, these women in this listing. They're associated right after the 12. Jesus is raising them up. And we need to be aware of that in our ministry, in our culture today, to understand we need to raise people up. We don't know much about these women, but they were delivered from evil spirits. They were demon-possessed. Seven demons came out of Mary Magdalene. Jo Joanna, was she wealthy? We think so. She was present at the crucifixion. We don't know a lot about these women, but Luke tells us about them because he wants to show us that these women were grateful like this other woman that in the story was. They're following Jesus. They're people of faith. They're with the 12. They're, Jesus is breaking cultural boundaries here, and they're loved, and they're, they're highly esteemed by Jesus, and they're being taught, and they're serving Jesus, and they're sacrificing out of their own possessions to be with Jesus and to serve him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The way Jesus just raises us all up. No matter who we are, if we just humbly come to him and say, I need forgiveness, save me, I believe you're the one who can do it. What do you believe about Jesus and your need for forgiveness this morning? If we say we believe Jesus is the Christ, then I've got to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself, is my life producing any godly fruit like the woman in this story? Do I understand how much I've been forgiven? Do I humbly worship and happily serve Christ? Do I go in an uninviting place to just let Jesus know I love him? Am I grateful? Have I shown my gratitude? Have I told Jesus out loud in the shower? wherever you want to be. I love you. And what have, you done, what have you done lately to show it, people of God? Do I thirst for God? May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we never tire of his company. May we always be grateful. May we never be ashamed, ashamed to express our love to him in all that we do and all that we say so others can see his glory and worship. This morning, if you have not, I invite you, I implore you, pursue a life with Christ. Come to faith in him. Come speak with someone about it, your friend that you're with today, or, or, or contact us in a church office, or, or come up front after the service and just say, I need to talk to you about something. I'd like to know more about Jesus. Don't be embarrassed by that. Don't let that keep you away from believing today. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how unclean we are. And I ask you, Lord, to humble our minds and souls so that we just accept your great salvation, that, that we'll trust you and that we'll serve you without shame, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would help us to begin a changed new life because of the forgiveness you've given us. Help us to understand it and to walk with you. Make all things new in us. Begin that work today. Help us to overcome the things that would keep us away from you, the old things 
the things that are worthless compared to who you are. Lord Jesus, do this all for your honor and glory. I ask you to do this for your name's sake and for the salvation of many. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.